Father, we are so grateful this morning that Jesus Christ, who looked ahead and saw the cross and understood the shame that he would have to endure, did not turn back, but proceeded and allowed himself to be crucified for us. He did that because he saw the end result. He saw that his obedience would result in many souls coming to Christ, many souls being added to the kingdom. He did that for us. I pray that we would do the same, that we would look ahead, that we would see what is before us, that we would continue, that we would persevere, that we would walk in the way that you have chosen for us, that we would take your hand and allow you to lead and guide and protect us. We thank you for these moments to quiet our hearts and to focus on your word. I pray that you will just allow us to heal. hear your Holy Spirit this morning. Strip away everything that is not you, Father, so that we might hear your clear voice. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. <clears throat> I think one of the most well-loved and universal children's games in history is hide-and-seek. Probably everyone here in this room has at some point, if some of you can maybe remember back far enough, played hide-and-seek. Now, some of you have kids or grandkids. You might have played hide-and-seek sometime this week. I don't know. But uh, hide-and-seek is an interesting game because as the participants get older, the game gets a little bit more sophisticated. You know what I mean, right? I mean, there is actually there is actually a newborn infant version of hide-and-seek, right? You knew that. We call it peekaboo, right? We pour little, tiny, helpless babies, and we're like, oh, where did mommy go? The kid's freaking out on the inside. Oh, there she is. You know, then they get legs and they get mobile and they start running around and, and you play hide and seek in the living room. And then they get a little bit older and you play hide and seek in the whole house. And then if you're like Melody and I and Tim and some of our siblings and friends, we grew up on this campus and we would play across the whole campus hide and seek. i thinking we were probably like 14, 15 years old, and we were still doing it. It was a lot of fun. A um, little bit of trivia for you here. There is a hide-and-seek world championship that takes place in Italy every year. In 2017, 70 teams from 11 different countries participated, and a lot of strategy going on there, hide-and-seek. Who would have who thought, Right? Here's the thing about hide-and-seek if you're it. You count, you hide your eyes, you count, everybody runs and hides. Then you say, ready or not, here I come. And you start looking around. And if you're playing with people who are really good at hide-and-seek, there's probably a minute or two, I know it's happened for me before, a minute or two where you can't find anyone and a little bit of panic sets in. Like maybe I'm the only one who isn't in on the joke and everybody else just took off <laughs> and left me here. Because here's the thing about hide and seek. You're not just looking for someone that you don't actually 
currently know their location. You are looking for people who are actively trying to hide from you. There's a difference, right? Actively trying to hide. And I don't know if I'm the only one here, but there have been times in my life when that is what my spiritual life has felt like. Where I have felt like God is actively trying to hide from me because I can't see him. I can't find him. Where is he? Does he know what's happening to me right now? Does he care that this is going on in my life? Does he love me at all? These are questions that run through our minds. These are questions that have run through my mind. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph, a man in the Bible. His story is recorded in the book of Genesis, and we don't have time to look at the whole thing. It's from chapter 37 of Genesis all the way to chapter 50, but this morning we're going to look a little bit at the beginning of Joseph's story, and next week we're going to look a little bit at the end But what I want you to notice is that Joseph's story is a story of pain and rejection and suffering. But it's also a story of God's intervention and redemption and sovereignty. Joseph walked a long and painful road, as we are going to find out. But there was a purpose in it. And for those of us human beings who are living life on this earth, we often walk long, painful roads. But there is purpose in these journeys. There there is purpose in these roads. The problem is we often can't see the purpose. In fact, there are times in our lives, and if you have experienced this, then you can agree in your own heart and mind as we walk through this. There have been times in our lives... Not only we can't see the purpose in what we're walking through, but we can't even see God. And so the question that we're asking ourselves this week and next week is, what do we do when God hides? Let me just tell you a little bit about Joseph's story because we don't have time to read it all for us as it's recorded in the book of Genesis. If you want to read it sometime, it's very, very interesting to see God's work through Joseph's life. But Joseph's father was named Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. If you're putting a little bit of family tree together in your mind, you know, Abraham, God promised Abraham, I will make your family a great nation. They're going to number more than the sand of the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. That was God's promise to Abraham, and God gave Abraham one son. Not a very auspicious beginning. One son. His son's name was Isaac. God gave Isaac two sons, Esau and Jacob, twin boys. That's another whole story if you want to read that sometime. Jacob 
had 12 sons. So now we're thinking, okay, this uh, genealogical ball is going to start rolling here. 12 sons. Now, Joseph was the 11th of the 12 sons of Jacob. And he was his father's favorite. Jacob was quite old when Joseph was born. And Jacob just treated him differently than everyone else. And everyone knew it, by the way. This wasn't a secret. It wasn't like you pulling one of your kids aside and saying, you're my favorite. Don't tell anyone else. No, everybody knew that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And as if that wasn't enough, Jacob marked it by giving him a special coat. And every time uh, Joseph's brothers would see him coming with that cotton-picking coat on, they were reminded, well, there he is, dad's favorite, the golden child. Didn't really sit well with Joseph's older brothers. Joseph also had a very special gift. He had the ability to interpret dreams. God had given him this ability at a very young age. And that kind of rubbed everybody the wrong way too. Because Joseph was a teenage boy. No parents of teenage boys in here, apparently, or ever had a teenage boy. You know, let me just tell you something about teenage boys. Um, a lot of times, teenage boys don't have a lot of filters, tact, wisdom, uh, and on and on and on we could go. And so Joseph would have these dreams And he would go and tell his brothers. He would go and find them and tell them. One time he came to them and he said, hey guys, guys, I had a dream. And they're already rolling their eyes thinking, oh boy, here we go, another dream. He said, yeah, so we're all out in the field. There were 12 sheaves of grain. 12. How many brothers did Joseph have? 11. 12 sheaves of grain. Yeah, yeah. And we could tell, in my dream, I could tell which one belonged to each of us. And my sheaf was right here in the middle. And all the other 11 sheaves all bowed down to my sheaf. You can imagine how that went over. And then later, Joseph had another dream. And he came and found his brothers again. He said, guys, guys, guess what? And they go, yeah, we know. Another dream. What was this one? Well, this time, there was the sun and the moon and the stars. And they all bowed down to me. And Joseph's brothers were beside themselves. Are you kidding me? So not only are we worshiping you, but mom and dad are too? That's ridiculous. And three times in Genesis 37, when we're introduced to Joseph, three times it says, and Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated him. 
for it. Well, finally, they could stand it no more. And so some of the brothers hatched a plan. They were watching their father's flock a long ways from home. And they said the next time Jacob had this habit of keeping Joseph at home and letting his brothers go do all the work, and then he would send Joseph out to check on them. And they said, you know what? The next time that dreamer comes along here, let's kill him. I mean, this is the level to which Joseph's brothers hate him. Let's kill him and tell dad that something terrible happened on the journey. Joseph's oldest brother, Reuben, intervened and said, guys, guys, hang on a second here. This is, this is a little extreme, okay? Let's not do that. I tell you what, let's, let's just back it down a little bit. Let's just relax. Let's just see if we can figure something else out. Let me read you a few verses from Genesis 37, verse 21. It says, when Reuben heard it, He rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. That was a special robe that his father had given him. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So Reuben said, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit and teach him a lesson and and we'll figure out what to do with him. And in the back of his mind, Reuben was thinking, when they're off working, I'm going to grab him, get him out of there and get him home to dad before something really bad happens. So Joseph is in the pit this terrible thing that has happened to him that's really through no fault of his own. It says there was no water in it. Why is that specified? I think it's just to help us understand that that this was a desperate place. And we know it was very desperate, and we know that Joseph was afraid because later on when he recounts the story at the end of Genesis, we don't read it here in chapter 37, but later we read, Joseph says, I cried and I hollered, And I called out for you, and you didn't hear me, and you didn't answer me. Joseph Joseph was terrified. No one responded. But this was only the beginning. Because later we read that a group of traders came by, and Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And Joseph was taken to Egypt far from his father and far from his home, And far from everything that he knew and loved. Let's pick it up in chapter 37, verse 31. This is what Joseph's brothers did after that. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, this is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. 
Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. Can you imagine what that was like? Imagine what that was like for Joseph, terrifying at 16 or 17 years old to be betrayed by your own brothers, thrown into a pit without food or water, sold into slavery, hauled off to Egypt, which was a long way from their home, into a very uncertain future. I want us to pause here for a few minutes and talk about our own lives for a bit. When terrible things happen in our lives, we cannot help but take it personally. It seems impossible to think of it any other way, right? This terrible thing has happened in my life, and this is happening to me because God or whoever it is that's in control of this world hates me, doesn't care about me, doesn't understand what's happening. Joseph was likely thinking some version of that. We're not privy to his thoughts at that moment when he hit the bottom of that pit or when he was yanked out of it rudely and tied around the ankles and the wrists and thrown onto a camel and hauled off to Egypt. But I'm sure it was some version of that. It would be 22 years before this family would be put back together again. 22 years. And this was only the beginning for Joseph. We'll talk a little bit about it next week. But this was only the beginning of what he was going to walk through, the pain and the suffering, the rejection, the grief, the loss. There's a pastor, author, a Bible teacher by the name of Rankin Wilborn that I like to read and listen to sometimes. He says it this way, Though God's ways are often long and hidden, they are always good. Though God's ways are often long and hidden, they are always good. Friends, can I, I caution you or warn you Don't be surprised if you can't see what God is doing in your life. You can see some of the immediate things that are happening, some of the immediate events, some of the things that are are literally taking place, but don't be surprised if you can't see what he's doing from where you are right now. If we were to take time to read the whole chapter of Genesis 37 we would realize that God is not even mentioned. He's not even mentioned in this chapter, directly or indirectly. 36 verses, several different scenes, and his name is never mentioned. And yet, I want you to think about this, and we'll see more of it next week. 
but that if every detail of this story had not happened exactly the way that it did over the span of 22 years, if it didn't all happen just this way, then the whole nation of Israel and the whole nation of Egypt would have been wiped out, would have been lost. But how do I reconcile the fact that God loves me with all of the terrible things that happened to me? How do I interpret the events of my life? That's really the question, right? Because if we were going to poll the audience today, we would say, we would ask questions like, well, how many people believe that God loves them? And, you know, all or most all of us, I'm guessing, would raise our hands. Then if we were to ask, how many people have experienced something very, very difficult or terrible or even tragic in your life, something that caused great pain or grief or loss or suffering, I'm sure all of us would raise our hands. So how do we reconcile those two things? That's the crux of the whole matter, right? If God loves us, why do these things happen? I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the things, and this is not a simple answer to that question, but one of the things we need to do is we need to decide which God we believe in. Now as a church, as this local expression of the body of Christ where we all meet together and we fellowship together and we sing songs together and we study the Bible together and a lot of us go to small group together and we serve on teams together. We say, well, well, we, we all believe in the same God. We all believe in the God of the Bible, loves us, just like it says in here. But I'm guessing that we don't. Which God do you believe in? Do you believe in a weak, powerless God? Like when a terrible thing happens in your life, when you experience pain or suffering, you say, well, well, God is not strong enough to fix this or to have prevented it. Or maybe you believe in a disinterested God. Well, God could fix it if he wanted to, or he could have steered me around this if he wanted to, but he doesn't. This God that you might believe in probably has a long white beard and sits in a giant cosmic rocking chair like an absent-minded professor, and he doesn't realize everything that's going on. If God knew, he would have fixed this or helped me to avoid it. Or do you believe in what we have talked about before and called often a vending machine God? The vending machine God is the one who rewards you when you do good things and punishes you when you do bad things. It's like a vending machine. You put the coins in, you press the button for what you want, and the good stuff comes out on the bottom. So if something good is happening, that means God is pleased with what I'm doing. If something bad is happening, that means he's punishing me for the wrong that I have done. Which God do you believe in? Or do you believe, as a fourth option, do you believe in a God who is 
big enough and powerful enough and loves you enough to weave all the threads of this world and your life together, all of the good and all of the evil that exists and make something that is good and beautiful. Which God do you believe in? I know what you're thinking because it's the same thing that I think. When I'm confronted with the truth, I think, okay, I'll bite. God is good enough to make something beautiful out of my life in the end. But why can't my life be beautiful now and beautiful then? Why isn't he powerful enough to do that? I want to suggest to you this morning that it's not his power that we are not understanding or grasping here. We need to think about the fact that our immediate comfort is not God's greatest concern. Now, the reason that's difficult is because our immediate comfort is our greatest concern, right? It is. You can nod your head. It's okay. The other 250 of you and not just the five who just did it, you can admit it. Your immediate comfort is your greatest concern. You know how I know that? Because you get up this morning and you kick the furnace on. You put a few logs on the stove. And you grabbed a warm jacket because it was 35 degrees out. Because you're happy to sit in these padded seats. Because you'll go home and you'll reach into the refrigerator and you'll figure out what it is you're going to make for lunch. Now, none of those things are wrong. I do them all too. But it's a matter of focus. My immediate comfort is my greatest concern. I'm always thinking about what could make my life more comfortable right now. God just is not as concerned about that as we are. He is far more concerned about the condition of our souls than he is the comfort of our bodies. And when difficult things, when painful things, when terrible things happen in our lives, God will often use them to open our eyes to things that we don't see about ourselves. You know what happened after Joseph's adolescent self hit the bottom of that pit? and he bounced across the desert to Egypt on the back of a camel, he began to see that he was a little bit arrogant. He began to see that the whole world did not revolve around him. He had this great gift that God had given him, a great gift that God wanted to use to literally, and I am not overstating this, to literally change the course of history. He didn't really know how to use it.
when I was 23 years old. I had just been asked by a small church in northern Maine to come and be their pastor. God was leading, God was working, God was opening doors. God had given me a beautiful wife, one that I did not deserve, but one who gradually wore out after I chased her for so long. She finally gave up and said, this can't be the worst thing in the world, let's do it. And so we moved to this little town. And we began to pastor this little church, and God began to work. He began to do what only he could do to change people's hearts and lives. And after we'd been married about a year and a half, we found out that Melody was pregnant. We're excited. We couldn't wait to be parents. It was all going perfectly, just the way that we thought it should in our young lives that were, by the way, surrendered to Christ. We weren't perfect, but we were doing what we knew God wanted us to do. And on Christmas Day, 1995, our son was stillborn. We named him Jason. And our hearts were broken, and we thought... What is happening? What is happening here? We're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing. And so we kept going, confused, heartbroken, but still convinced that we were doing what we should be doing. And nine months later, Melody's father dropped dead Suddenly, extremely suddenly, without warning. And two months after that, we found out that Melody's mother was in the early stages of dementia, Alzheimer's, which began a 10-year journey. And our world was rocked. And I can't promise you that I have learned everything that I am supposed to learn and I could continue to tell you the way that our lives have unfolded and all of the things that have happened. But I began to realize something, something that I profess to have already known, and that is that God is the one who is sovereign in this world and in my life and not me. I had a plan, we had a plan, we were working that plan. We do good things, God does good things. We had an agreement, we had an arrangement. This is the way that it works. God was pulling us back and saying, no, the way this works is I do what I see fit to do in your life to open your eyes to things that you cannot see about yourself so that I can use you to accomplish my will in this earth, not your will. I love you. 
but your physical immediate comfort is not my greatest concern. My greatest concern is the condition of your soul. Now, you can opt out. You can opt out. You can say, I don't want anything to do with this God. This doesn't make sense. If God loved me, this wouldn't happen. Perhaps some of you have already done that. Or you're on the verge of doing that. You can opt out. You can do that. But even if you opt out, you're still going to experience pain and loss in this world, in your life. It is inevitable because we live in a very broken, screwed up world. Or you can opt in. You can turn to God you can trust him, you can lean on him, and you will find, as my friend Rankin says, that he speaks the language of pain and suffering and loss. You see, what God does not do, and I know, understatement of the century, what God does not do is give us all of the answers. He doesn't always give us logic. But what he does do is give us Jesus. And Jesus knows suffering. He knows pain. He knows grief. He knows loss. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The word sorrows there literally means pain. He was a man of pain. He experienced heartbreak and rejection. He knew loss. Jesus was thrown down before he was raised up. And all the terrible things, all the painful things, and all the rejection that Jesus faced had to happen or else all would have been lost. My salvation would not have happened. Your salvation would not have happened without it. Isaiah 43 verse 2 contains this promise. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Jesus does not promise that we will not go through the river. He does not say that. What he says is, if you take my hand, I'll get you through it. We'll go through it. In fact, we'll go through it together. And I know what you're thinking. I know the question that everyone is asking and will ask, but... Why do all of these things have to happen this way? We are going to talk about that next week. Now listen, listen. There is an answer to that question. There is a solid answer to that question. 
why these things have to happen this way. And I promise that I am not going to give you Sunday school answers. Real answers. I'm not asking you to accept this blindly. I'm not asking you to just walk out of here and say, well, God loves me and that's enough. doesn't matter. I'm not asking you to do that. There is a real reason. There is a purpose for all of this. But for now, we can't go there. See, we always want to go there. Why does this happen? We always want the answer to that question first. And I'm telling you this morning, friends, if you will walk with me through this, you can't go there yet. Because first, you have to make a choice. First, you have to choose which God you believe in. Because if you don't believe in the God of the Bible as he reveals himself to us, if you choose to believe in the powerless God, he can't do it. Or the disinterested God, he doesn't care. Or the vending machine God, when I do good, he does good. If you believe in one of those gods, then this answer will not make sense. But if now you will choose to believe in the God who is powerful enough and big enough and who loves you enough to take all of the tangled threads of your life in this world, all of the good and all of the evil, and make it into something beautiful, if you choose to believe in that God, then this answer will be real. And it will make sense. I'm not saying that it will be easy, but it will be real. Will you push him away or turn to him and find him close? He cares for you. And believe it or not, everything that he does, he does because he loves you. And he is aware of everything that is happening. In fact, he will weep with you. He will weep for you and he will weep with you. By the way, God does not just weep over the pain in your life, he weeps over the sorrow and the pain of this entire world and everything that he sees happening. No matter what occurs, his love and his goodness never changes. Friends, there's a journey in front of us, each one of us, a long and painful one, Are you willing to let your expectations of what it should look like go and trust him? That's the question. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. His father believed that he was dead. He wasn't dead, but he was lost in a far country. And when Jacob heard, he said, He's torn apart from limb to limb by an animal. He's gone. It's over. He's dead. There's no possible way that this ends well. And yet, it does. And I don't know what point you are in your life right now, but you could be at the point, or you might have been in the past, or you may be approaching it now, a point in your life where you say, there is no possible way that this ends well. But it can. Because the Father gives us a loving person, a perfect person. And what's true in the light 
is still true in the dark because he never changes. Father, we need you desperately every moment of every day. And it's my prayer this morning as we go from this place that we will each one consider carefully what version of you that we believe in. Father, help us to see you. Help us to trust you. Even when it seems like you're hiding from us, even when we can't see the purpose and we can't even see you, to know that for all of those who put their faith and trust in you, it does end well. Walk with us. We thank you for Jesus Christ who knows pain and suffering and loss, who's willing to take our hand. And I pray that in everything that we face in every day that we might offer to you this lament, that you would see it as our love song, that you would see our trust, and that you would continue to work your will in your way, and we will trust you for the end when that day comes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. We're glad you came this morning. Have a great week.